Welcome to the Hello First Name Podcast. The Hello First Name Podcast revolves around the term personalization and is brought to you by marketing author Rasmus Holin, founder of Omnichannel Institute and chief experience officer at the marketing automation software company Agilic. The podcast is based on the book Hello First Name. Each episode is based in turn on a chapter from the book, followed by a discussion of the very same chapter with an expert marketing practitioner in the following episode. As always, you can buy the book on Amazon or other bookstores. You can also choose to listen to it all for free on your favorite podcast service. You're also very welcome to download the abstract of the book for free, and all models, of course, are able to download. All downloads are sponsored by Agilic. I'll make sure to put a link to everything in the show notes. But you can always connect on LinkedIn, and I'll be happy to reply and help out. Chapter 4. Why does personalization work? Though it may seem like the most natural thing in the world, that people will engage more with content and messages that are aligned with their preferences, we'd still like to dwell a little on why personalization works. Tequila Noble and Natsaya Kalbaska put it like this in their article, An Exploration of Personalization in Digital Communication. Quote, Individuals are more likely to embrace information that is attitude consistent and prefer information that aligns with their perspective. Messages that are relevant to consumers should increase their motivation to process the information. Unquote. But why is that so? As explained by Ville Salonen and Heikki Kaja Lurto from the University of Jyväskylä in Finland, the effects of personalization can be attributed to evolutionary psychology and what is called the fundamental motives framework. This was originally described in 2013 by Vladas Griskevicius from the University of Minnesota and Douglas T. Kenrick from Arizona State University. The idea of fundamental motives refers to what it is that we humans are actually looking for. In other words, and relating this back to our definition of personalization in Chapter 3, what consumers' most profound preferences really are. The fundamental motives include evading physical harm, avoiding disease, making friends, attaining status, acquiring a mate, caring for family. At any given time, a range of these motives will be active for an individual. For example, if an individual is browsing for clothes on a fashion website, then attaining status and acquiring a mate could be their active fundamental motives. Half an hour later, their active fundamental motives may have changed, and they may be going to the gym to avoid disease or make friends. As Salonen and Kaya Luto put it, quote, the current active motive shapes preferences and guides decision processes." Unquote. Personalization works when you communicate about a specific thing that a customer profoundly wants. People vary over time in terms of how relevant each motive is for them. And there are certainly some people who tend to be driven by some of the motives more than by others. So if you want to succeed with personalization, it makes sense to keep these fundamental motives in mind. You can think about how your customer insights relate back to the motives and consider which ones could be active in the moment for each individual. If you are selling a car, for instance, does the browsing pattern of the customer mostly indicate that they are looking for status or interested in caring for the family? The content you choose to present, such as suggested car models or descriptive text, should match the customer's fundamental motive in order to maximize your impact. Some motives will be more continuously active for some individuals and thus make up what could be called their permanent preferences or their personality. This will all become clearer when we discuss customer insights as part of the bow tie of personalization in part two. When things get creepy. 
Unfortunately, personalization efforts can backfire and have the opposite effect to their purpose of creating immediate and future business results. One of the most discussed topics in this regard is when things get creepy and personalization is perceived by people as stepping over their personal boundaries. The question is what it is that makes your customers feel that way. Today, many consumers expect personalization. According to the study State of the Connected Customer, 66% of consumers expect companies to understand their unique needs and expectations, and 52% expect all offers to be personalized. McKinsey takes this idea one step further and claims that consumers are now at a point where they demand personalization. According to McKinsey's own Next in Personalization 2021 report, 71% of consumers now expect companies to deliver personalized interactions, and 76% get frustrated when this doesn't happen. Yet, it is still possible for marketers to take things too far and come across as creepy. When do consumers find personalization creepy? Consumers tend to report creepiness in three main cases. First, they feel creeped out if they perceive that they are being stalked by mindless repetitions of the same advertisement, like some hollow echo of their browsing pattern. This is especially the case if they feel that the advertiser should be able to tell that they are no longer in the market for the specific product. An example of this that we hear mentioned over and over again is Hotels.com, which has been told to keep sending emails to people about, for example, hotels in Rome several weeks after they've returned from there. Many people enjoy visiting Rome, but most people don't enjoy it multiple weekends in a row. The second way of creeping people out is if you use customer data or insights that the customer wasn't aware you had. This can happen when the data comes from a third-party data source, the consent wasn't clearly stated at the time of collection, or the customer has forgotten that they gave you the data. For most people, it will come as no surprise if they receive an email that follows up on a specific online purchase. The customer knows that the retailer has this data, and as such, the retailer can use it very explicitly. Thus, it is possible to mention the products bought, for instance, by suggesting how-to videos to help customers optimize the use of the products without anyone feeling creeped out. If, however, customers are not aware that the retailer has collected specific data and that this is used for explicit personalization, many will find it creepy. An example of this could be tracking individual page visits on a website. This collection of data is possible through either a server site or a first-party browser cookie. If the retailer then sends the customer an email explicitly mentioning that the brand knows the customer has browsed 18 variants of sexy underwear and suggesting that the customer look at even more such underwear, this email would most likely be perceived as creepy. That said, some customers might not find it creepy. It all depends on the individual customer as well as how the brand presents itself and how it is perceived. Customers of Victoria's Secret might not find this creepy at all. People in China might not find it creepy either, since they're used to being surveyed by the Chinese government. People in Germany most likely would find it creepy, as Germans tend to value privacy very dearly. The notion of creepiness is also a cultural thing. The underwear example touches upon the third way of creeping people out, namely addressing topics that the customer finds it inappropriate to share or discuss with the brand. Imagine you're having a conversation with a real person you just met at a dinner party. You would need to know and trust this person before you started to discuss sexy underwear or how you felt about a potential divorce. Marketers and new acquaintances at dinner parties should tread carefully when addressing such topics, as well as when revealing their sources for the insights behind their questions and suggestions. First of all, make sure you have trust and rapport. You could then hint at the topic and bring it up in passing or indirectly. 
Implicit personalization, as described in chapter 3, is your friend here. Personalized versus personal. The discussion of creepiness relates to the difference between communication being personalized or personal. The feeling of something being personal belongs to the receiver, and as a marketer you should be careful not to be more personal in your communication than your receivers are comfortable with. Most customers don't want an intimate relationship with brands. You are not their new best friend and won't become so either. So for us personally, please stop writing emails to us that say your brand loves us and how excited you are about fulfilling our orders. It does help if you combine personalization with personification though, which means sending or pretending to be sending the email from a real person. You could use the name of your founder, your head of e-commerce, your chief evangelist or another appropriate person and insert their picture or a scanned signature. Also make sure the email address doesn't start with no reply and that replies to the email actually do go to the person on whose behalf it was sent. This will make the message feel more personal and, in our experience, can improve results. Most people will still figure out that these messages are not sent manually by a real person, especially if the email is branded and there are a lot of graphics and layout in it. However, they will still expect a real person to behind the words and mentally hold that person accountable for the content. B2B business development. Pretending to be personal? In business-to-business, business, and especially in meeting-booking scenarios, there are various software tools that can be used to do automated outreach and personalized emails and LinkedIn messages. In these cases, it is not really possible to brand the message through layout and graphics. As such, the recipient can't tell by looking at it whether it's a manually sent message from a real person or whether it's an automated message. So, whether by design or not, these messages pretend to be personal. Some of these attempts to do outreach and personalized messages in this fashion are quite horrible and assume way too much about the potential buying intent of the recipient. Often they get the industry or the role of the recipient wrong. If you're in any kind of role with a budget, we bet you've received tons of these messages already. Perhaps it's more annoying than creepy, but it's still personalization. Creepy personalization or just a coincidence? You've probably heard people saying that they've talked about a certain topic or product only to shortly afterwards be exposed to advertisements about the particular product on Facebook or Google. This brings up the suspicion that the tech giants are listening in on our physical conversations and are using this knowledge in their advertising. Especially if people have a Google Nest speaker or an Amazon Echo or Alexa in the house, the suspicion grows. The speaker is always listening, unless it is switched off, but it is supposed to only react and process data when it is called out, as in, hey Google. There has been several stories in the media concerning this topic, and in particular, Amazon Echo has been accused of recording and even sending sound recordings in unfortunate circumstances. One woman in Portland, Oregon, claimed that her Amazon Echo had secretly recorded a conversation and sent the recording to a contact on her husband's phone. Amazon said this was the result of an unlikely series of events. We're not the ones to decide whether Amazon, Google or Apple are really listening in on our conversations. Although, don't Google and Amazon already have enough data on their customers to determine with some accuracy which products they'd be interested in without having to listen in on their conversations? What we will say is that we see people's readiness to believe their devices are listening as a clear sign that consumers have come to expect personalization everywhere. Sometimes, therefore, lucky coincidences are perceived as the results of personalization. 
In our next episode, which is more classical podcast style, we'll be discussing the chapter you just listened to, namely why presentation works, together with Matt Johnson, PhD, neuroscientist, speaker and author in the application of psychology to marketing.